all the honor and all the praise. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So good to be with you. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to John the 8th chapter. John the 8th chapter. And as you do, I would like to welcome each of you present and those who are worshiping with us online at this church gathered at Forest Baptist. John the 8th chapter. This morning we'll consider verses 30 through 38. John the 8th chapter beginning with verse 30 and if you are able please stand with us in honor the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ this morning. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will be fr become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. The title for... Our text this morning is simply, what to the slave is freedom? What to the slave is freedom? Why don't you bow with me? Father, you are worthy to be praised. And Father, we pause right now to give you all of the honor and to give you all of the glory. For the psalmist declares, not to us, O oh God, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Father, we stop by today to say thank you for being so great. Thank you for being so awesome. Thank you for being so marvelous. Father, thank you for taking care of us when we couldn't even take care of ourselves. And Father, even when we thought we was taking care of ourselves, it was you taking care of us all the while. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus, empowered by your Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes and ears to what thus saith the Lord. Father, you're in this place already. Help us to recognize your presence. Father, I ask that you would free us up, liberate us, that we would worship today, O oh God. 
Whatever issues of life, whatever circumstances are on our hearts and minds, whatever is on our back, right now in the name of Jesus, Father, help us to worship you. Give us mercy and grace. We need your grace to worship you right now. Holy Spirit, help us that we will rightly honor you and that we would fully give of ourselves to the preaching moment. Father, I ask that you would keep us from drowsiness, keep us from distractions, keep us from bitterness, keep us from hard-heartedness. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, set the captives free, that we would truly walk in the freedom that you have already secured. Father, we already have the victory. Now help us, Lord Jesus, to walk in it right now. And Master, we would be ever so careful to give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. And the people of God said together, amen, amen, and amen. On July 5th, 1852, at the Corinthian Hall in Rochester, New York, Keynote speaker Frederick Douglass stood to address the crowd at an event commemorating the signing of the Declaration of Independence. These are just a few of his words. Fellow citizens, I shall not presume to dwell at length on the associations that cluster about this day. The simple story, it is that 76 years ago, the people of this country were British subjects. The style and title of your sovereign people in which you now glory was not then born. You were under the British crown. Your fathers esteemed the English government at the home as the home government and England as the fatherland. This home government, you know, although a considerable distance from your home, did in the experience of its parental prerogatives impose upon its colonial children such restraints burdens and limitations as in its mature judgment it deemed wise, right, and proper. Fellow citizens, I am not wanting in respect to the fathers of this republic. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were brave men. They were great men too, great enough to give fame to a great age. It does not often happen to a nation to raise at one time such a number of truly great men. The point from which I am compelled to view them is not certainly the most favorable, and yet I cannot co contemplate their great deeds with less than admiration. They were statesmen, patriots, and heroes, and for the good they did and the principles they contended for, I will unite with you to honor their memory. But such is not the case, not the state of the case. I say it with a sad sense of the disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? 
I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciations of tyrants brass-fronted impudence. Your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. A thin veil to cover up crimes which would dis disgrace a nation of savages. This is not a, there is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. And he said a bunch more. <laughs> Frederick Douglass in his speech confronted the glaring hypocrisy of a day celebrating freedom in a country that still endorsed government-sanctioned bondage and forced labor. And he raises the question simply, how can one celebrate freedom when they're not truly free? Even today, the 4th of July is complicated for many. This same question still haunts us today as the people of God, however. How can one celebrate freedom when they're not truly free? How can one celebrate freedom in Christ while at the same time being enslaved to sin? This is at the heart of Jesus' words to the crowd. For those who said they believed, Jesus is confronting them with the truth of what it really means to believe, and it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between mere belief and the following of Jesus and becoming his disciples. Our thought today is simply this. Freedom from the enslavement of sin only belongs to true disciples of Jesus. Freedom from the enslavement of sin only belongs to true disciples of Jesus. Here in the text this morning, Jesus has been debating with the Jews in, at, at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the temple, Jesus is having this back-and-forth conversation, this almost tit-for-tat. No matter what Jesus says, the Jews have something else to say. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Jew says, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus says, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. The Jews say to him, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And Jews say, who are you? As Jesus is going back and forth with the Jews, it comes to a point in the text that it actually says that many believed in him. What Jesus is stating here in his, this next paragraph of words, he is really saying, will you just believe or will you be set free? Because to have freedom, you must be my disciple. I believe from the text, Jesus gives us three reasons why only his disciples experience freedom. The first of these is 
disciples of Jesus are free from, freed from sin because they abide in the truth. Jesus says to those Jews who have believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jesus is drawing a stark contrast between believing and abiding. I can believe that the chair will hold me when I sit, sit down. When you came in today seeing the chairs on four legs, not rickety, not shaking, you believed in your mind that if you backed up and sat down, that chair would hold you. But it's not until you actually sit down in a chair and experience the cushion on your backside that you are really abiding in that chair. You can point out that's a nice chair, that's a beautiful chair. I wish I had a chair like that in my own house. But until you actually sit down, you are not abiding in that chair. What Jesus is trying to point out is that many may say that they believe, but it's a different animal to abide. Jesus' words here clarifies that discipleship is not measured by how you start, but how you will finish. Because the word of God points out that as the followers of Christ, we don't just start the race, but we persevere in the midst of the race. Jesus is talking about perseverance, that, that thing that holds on uh, while you are going through perseverance is the ability to, to remain and uh, the ability to sustain. And when Jesus says you must abide, he is saying you must hold on to his word. And when we are able to hold on to his words, we demonstrate that we are his disciples. It is only the disciples of Jesus who can say they actually care about God's word because they believe God's word and they treasure God's word. The word of God is something that they don't step away from when times get hard, but they step into when times get hard. The word of God is the foundation by which they build their entire life upon. Everything that they think, do, and say has some type of framework and, and, and understanding of God's word. Jesus says, if you are truly my disciples, you will, not you may, you could, you should, you will abide. In the truth, you will abide in my word. And when true disciples abide in the word, there is a blessing in the midst and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's like that domino effect that 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 if, if, if you are a programmer, that if then clause, if this happens, this will take place. He is saying, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. It won't be a surprise. It won't, it won't be hidden from you anymore, but you will know the truth and it will set you free. Now, for the most part, when we hear this phrase and the truth will set you free, it's a different kind of truth, right? In the Net Bible, I like how it points out the statement, the truth will set you free, is often taken as referring to truth in the philosophical or absolute sense or in the intellectual sense, or even as the Jews apparently took it in the political sense. In the context of John's gospel, this must refer to the truth about the person and work of Jesus. 
So it's not just a merely uh, a set of facts that will set you free, but it's a specific set of facts that can set you free because all facts can't set you free. Theologian D.A. Carson says, holding on to Jesus' teaching not only establishes the genuinely the genuality of faith, it also has its own authenticating power. We come to know the truth not simply by intellectual assentment, but by moral commitment. You hear what he's saying? He said, we don't come to know the facts like on a test and are able to recite it. But when the fact of who Jesus is and what he has actually done for you and for me, when that hits our head, it moves down into our heart, which moves out into my hands, into my feet, into my head, and it has an impact on the way I live every single day. It's just not this truth that I believe in theory. It's the reality of my life. What Jesus is talking about here is more than just propositional truth he is talking about the truth of the gospel the good news that life with God under the rule of God is available to those who would turn from their rebellion and trust in King Jesus the good news that faith in Jesus's life his death burial and victorious resurrection will make one justified and reconciled to the father in heaven the good news that God's wonderful acceptance of you and I is not based upon what we have done and we can never earn it, but only squarely upon the merits of Christ Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel, and it is the power of the gospel that is able to transform, deliver, and to save. So when we hold on abiding in the truth of the gospel, things change. Things won't be the same. Because when you're latching on to the gospel, you're latching on to more than a narrative. Only when one latches on to the truth of the gospel do they experience the liberating power of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because when we talk about the truth of the gospel, I'm not just talking about a story. I'm talking about a person. Because Jesus says, I am the truth. As a matter of fact, in his person, uh, John 1 and 14 says, and the flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father in grace and truth. Jesus says himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is saying these facts really is just a mirror pointing to me. You need me in order to be delivered from your sin. You need me in order to be set free. You need me, but not only do you need me, you need what I have done. Simply put, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 15th chapter, verses 3 through 4, he says, And I delivered to you as of first importance that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. What Paul is saying, not only is he the truth, but he has laid out the truth. The person and work of Jesus Christ. So the reason why disciples are set free when they abide in the word because they are holding on to Jesus himself. 
are you holding on to Jesus? Or are you holding on to tradition? Or are you holding on to your own glory? Or holding on to your own reputation? Your, re your reputation won't set you free. Your glory can't set you free. Your, your name is not above every name that is named. And, that, and, and because it's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow. Are you holding on to Jesus? It was funny on social media, they always have uh, these moments that go viral. And I remember seeing just the other day, it was this child at like a, a, a feeding zoo. And the child had a, had a piece of, of lettuce or something in his hand. Little old boy. And he had the piece of lettuce and he was feeding the giraffe. And, and, but somebody forgot to tell him that when you feed the giraffe, you got to let the food go. And what happened was as he was feeding the giraffe, the giraffe went to lift up and he was still holding on to the food. And the boy began to go up in the air. He wasn't letting go. Beloved, I'm saying somebody today is seeking far from the peaceful shore. Somebody is falling and flailing. You need to hold on to Jesus as he lifts you up out the muck and the mire today. Don't let it go. The day you let go of God's word is the day you drown in this world filled with sin and sickness. As the saying goes, when you get a hold of Jesus, you better hold on for dear life. Because life is only through King Jesus. When you hold on to the truth of the gospel, it has a way of bringing you through some stuff. I don't know about you, had it not been the word of God in my heart, and, and had it not been the word of God that I was holding to, I would have lost my mind a long time ago. And I don't know where the Lord is, has brought you from or bringing you through or bringing you to right now, but i tell you what, I dare you just to keep holding on to God's word because holding on to his word will bring you through some stuff, and beloved, I dare say it'll bring you up out of some stuff too. Disciples are freed from sin because they abide in the truth, but then secondly, the text reports to us that disciples of Jesus are freed from sin because they acknowledge the truth. Verse 33 after hearing Jesus' rebuke of what a genuine disciple is, the first thing that the Jews say to Jesus like, uh-uh, not me. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Ain't nothing wrong with me, Jesus. I'm fine. I don't do all that bad stuff no more. Jesus, I, I'm okay myself. What we know about Israel is that it would be obvious, but they had been under the rule of other nations throughout their heritage. But here, they're actually not talking about being under someone's political rule, but they believe themselves to have been freed from the enslavement of sin in the spiritual sense. In the Exodus, the people of Israel saw the Exodus as their spiritual liberation. 
It was in that moment that, that, that God had delivered them spiritually, and now he was vested in them as a people. So they, they said, no one has uh, ruled over us. We are children of Abraham. See, that's the key right there. Because the Jews were believing in this inherited privilege from Abraham. They believed that being descendants of Abraham guaranteed their salvation. But, beloved, we know it is not uh, salvation through uh, being a descendant that saves. And Jesus makes sure he points this out and he reminds them it's that, it's that uh, just because you're born in a family don't make you family. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the, the true bondage that you are in is that you are still stuck in your sin. Lineage is not the indicator of spiritual freedom. Your legacy is. The ones whose lifestyle is characterized by repeated Continuous sin is a slave to sin. An example of this is in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. And in the ninth verse, Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And what Paul is, is, is stating here, that these individuals, their way of life has become their identity in their sin. We don't call it like this. You know, we do, we, we dress it up. And we say stuff like, ah, oh, you know how they are. But that how you are may interfere with you being reconciled to God in heaven. We don't get to be how they are if the word of God is abiding in us. We don't, we don't get to make excuses for our sin. Well, I'll, just, I'll just tell it like it is. We don't get to make excuses for our sin. Well, they shouldn't have asked me. We don't get to make excuses for our sin. I was having a bad day. We don't get to make excuses for our sin. When they was getting on my nerves, we don't get to make excuses for our sin. Well, I was lonely and he was looking good and she was looking fine. We don't get to make excuses for our sin. This is what the Jews were doing by saying they were the descendants of Abraham. They were saying, I'm covered, I'm good, just because of who I know. But Jesus is saying, no, when you are continually in rebellion to me, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. A lifestyle characterized by rejection of God's command is an indication of the sin of unbelief. This is why Paul is pointing this out in the text of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about people who may fall into sin, 
uh, and, and then repent. He, he's not talking about that kind. He's talking about a people whose lifestyle is opposed to Jesus because they have rejected Jesus and don't believe that he is the Savior. Jesus further elaborates on this fact, this truth, by moving into a parable or an analogy of what it means to be a slave. And he says that the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. What does he mean? Where does that come from? What Jesus is saying, when you are enslaved by sin, you have another master. And you actually won't receive the inheritance of that house. That's why he says the slave doesn't remain. The slave will come and go. He says, but the son will remain forever. What Jesus is saying is the only way that you can receive that inheritance from the house is that you belong to the family. You can't be a slave to sin and be part of the family. He's saying you must have been liberated. You must have been delivered. And that's why he says, so if the son sets you free, you are free indeed, unequivocally, without no extras. It's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus plus. It says when the son sets you free, you ain't got to reach in your pocket and pull out that limp ball to try to pay your bail. You ain't got to call your mama uh, in the middle of the night to, for her to come and get you out of jail. You, you ain't got to worry about anything else because when the sun sets you free. I'm reminded about Peter and, and John in the jail singing hymns. And, 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 and Jesus, uh, he sends the angel and they begin to shake the jailhouse. Hi. Some of y'all need some bars shook. Because when the bars shook, the, the doors kicked wide open, and, and Peter and John, they was able just to walk about what was enslaving them. And God is saying, if Jesus sets you free, get up and walk out that jail that Satan has tried to trap you in. Beloved, 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 if, if, if you want to change the trajectory of your family, if you want to break generational curses, if you want to rid yourself of your family reputation, I dare you just to believe Jesus when he says you're free and that you will walk up out of that situation and circumstance and put on the new identity that is only found in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, He's a new creation. He's a new creature. All things have passed away. He says, I'm going to give you a new wardrobe. I'll do you better than home makeover. I'll come in and take everything you thought you loved and take everything that you, that you, 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 you paid for. I, I'll come and get rid of all that sin, and I'll give you a, a, a fresh wardrobe because the text of Scripture says that when I see him in glory, I'm going to rock my white robe. And I'm going to have my crimes. And I will have a, a new walk and a new talk. Because what Jesus has done by setting me free. Jesus is pointing to the fact that if you're willing to acknowledge your sin, if you're willing to confess your sin, 
He says that I will bring a bloody applicator and paint your life and everything that was stained as crimson stain, I will wash white as snow. That's why, that's why Paul finishes that text in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. He finishes with verse 11. He says, uh, those sinners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he reminds us, and, uh, and he reminds me, and he reminds you. He says, and such were some of you. You was there. You was dirty. You, was at, you wasn't even on the dance floor. You was in the back of the club doing your dirt. He says, you was there, and such were some of you. Uh, but God, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just any name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What is Jesus saying? When you are willing to acknowledge your sin, I'm able to forgive your sin, to remove your sin. When you confess the truth of the gospel, your sin is removed and salvation is secured. Disciples of Jesus are free from sin because they abide in the truth and because they acknowledge the truth. But then lastly in the text, disciples of Jesus are free from sin because they appropriate the truth. They take upon themselves this truth. And Jesus goes on to, to say to these Jews, he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. What Jesus is saying there, he says, the indicator that these are not his disciples is the fact that they actively reject Jesus' word. They hear what Jesus is saying, but they're doing something else. Did you catch that? They're going to the synagogue on Sunday. I mean, they really went on Saturday, but you know. They're going to the church house on Sunday. They're actively hearing the word of God, but they kept doing what they wanted. They were showing up for soap Bible study Tuesday through Friday, hearing God's word, but they kept doing what they wanted. They showed up for soap Wednesday evening Bible study. They kept hearing God's word, but they kept doing whatever they wanted. They, they showed up for Saturday prayer breakfast, and they was having a good time, and they heard the word of God, but then they left and kept doing the same thing. And then they showed up on Sunday morning again. They came and they shouted and they praised God and, and, and they heard the word of God. Then they walked out and somebody cut them off and they cussed the deacon out. They, they, they saying that he is saying that I can tell who are my disciples because they keep my word. They were actively rejecting his word. Jesus was simply saying, how can you be my disciples when you refuse to sit at my feet? Transformation only takes place when the word of God is actually applied to our hearts. This is why God writes to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. He says, this book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night 
so that you may do what according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you shall have success. This is what the psalmist is meaning in, in Psalm 119 and 11 where it says, I have, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. This is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is what, is what it means to, to have the word of God uh, inside of you. You've, you've taken what Jesus has said and you have or received it and brought it into your life. <laughs> this reminds me of a, of a joke I hear quite often. And I love it because it's so true. Deacon Pollard says, I, I just want to be so filled with the word that if a mosquito bite me, he'll fly away shouting hallelujah. But the word of God should change you from the inside out. When you have God's word in your heart, it impacts your way of life. You can't just keep on being the same. How do we know this? Verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus says obedience is a matter of paternity. Your conduct reveals who your father is. We don't need Mari Povich to reveal who's the father. You just keep living how you living, and you will show everybody who's your daddy. Jesus is saying, the reason you act the way you act, because you ain't my child, you ain't my baby, but you are of your father, the devil. And there's only two families in this world. Either you belong to the family of God or the family of Satan. Jesus is saying, when I have infiltrated your life and brought transformation from the inside out and given you a new walk and a new talk and adopted you into my family, you begin to look like your daddy in heaven. You begin to talk like your daddy in heaven. You begin to think like your daddy in heaven. But, but, but if we continue to be of this world and to love the things of this world, we're going to be like our father Satan. When you receive the truth of the gospel, your familial instincts should change. Beloved, true freedom is experienced by abiding in the truth, acknowledging the truth, and appropriating the truth. Today's simple question is, have you been set free? But what I love about Jesus is not just freedom from, but it's freedom to. Because by the power of the Spirit in Colossians 3, verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, greedy, you want what everybody else has, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self 
Jesus doesn't just free us from that sin, but he produces and gives us something else to do instead. We put off sin, but we put on his righteousness. And he says here, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and it, that means patience. That means I got to be patient with me. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The truth of the gospel don't only, not only frees you from sin, but it frees you up to worship. It not only frees you from hate, but it frees you up to love. It not only frees you from uh, unbelief, but it frees you to believe. It, the truth of the gospel doesn't just uh, frees you from disobedience, but it frees you to obey. The truth of the gospel doesn't just free you from selfishness, but it frees you to serve. D.A. Carson says again, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And it is genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. Beloved, you know what freedom really is? Freedom is having the ability to say no. No. Satan, I hear you coming. No. Satan, I know she look good. No. Satan, I know it tastes good. No. Satan, I know I'll have fun. No. The ability to say no is real freedom. Isn't that right? Because those bound by sin, they can't say no to what they want. Give me more. I want more. And now that just takes over your life. You just want more of what you want. But when Jesus comes in, he frees you to say, no. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. I don't want what I want anymore. I don't, I don't want to come up with my own plans. I don't want to come up with my own destiny. I don't want to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I just want what you want, Jesus. I want to love what you love. And I want to hate what you hate. Are you a disciple of Jesus? For those who would say yes, I want to encourage you this morning that you continue to persevere by God's grace. Keep abiding. Keep acknowledging. Keep appropriating God's word. Keep up the good work. But for those who, who say, no, they're not a disciple, or they just don't know, I just stopped by to tell you that real, real freedom only comes through submission. Real freedom comes when they, we're able to repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Where we're actually able to say, Lord, I, I've been living life my way. I've been doing it wrong. Would you please forgive me? Would you please save me and free me to live for you from now on? Oh, beloved, we end how we started today. What to the slave is freedom? How can one celebrate freedom when they're not truly free? 
freedom from the enslavement of sin only belongs to true disciples of Jesus. Has the Son set you free? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. And Father, I ask that you would pour out your grace and have mercy upon us today. Help us to see the true freedom that you have already secured for those in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would shake the shackles free, that we will be liberated, free to worship, to love, to serve, to obey, and that we would never go back. Help us to never go back. Father, please do a new thing in our lives today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.